Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. We are so thrilled to have with us today Sheba Chaco. Sheba is a licensed therapist and a TEDx speaker. She recently had a TEDx talk about imposter syndrome come out, and I encourage you to go and check that out on YouTube so you can just Google her name. Sheba Chaco and find her TEDx talk about imposter syndrome on YouTube. She also is a very, very capable licensed therapist and she works with high achievers on their anxiety. So if you're looking for a therapist and you're a high achiever with some anxiety, you might want to also look up Sheba on Psychology Today or on her Instagram account. So again, you just would put her name in, Sheba Chaco, and find her either on Instagram or on Psychology Today. But I am so impressed with who she is, and we just really enjoyed this conversation with her today. This is part one of several episodes with Sheba that we will release, and today we're talking a little bit about many things, um, but Sheba is an Enneagram 4, and we appreciate you listening. Sheba, welcome. Sheba. Sheba, you see, there we go. That's the first edit. I'm so sorry. No edit necessary. You can keep that in there. Because people (laughs) will remember. I get called Sheba all the time. Oh, Sheba, welcome so much. Thank you for for being here with us. Christy, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, um, so I found you on social media and I thought, oh my gosh, she seems amazing. Reached out and we had tea and just had a really great time um, over on the south side at the Wildflower Cafe. And that was it's really a great fun. place to meet. It is a great Highly place. Recommend. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety and imposter syndrome, but if you want to find a place to decompress and lower your anxiety, go to Wildflower, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's such a good vibe in there. It is. We had a really good time there. Um, and so, you know, I asked you if you would do this interview and you were gracious and said yes. And one of the things I want to highlight about you is that you just came out with a TED Talk in the last month, which is a really big deal. And I'm so proud of you. You know, it's funny because we're here to talk about anxiety and imposter syndrome, and I can't even internalize the praise or feedback that you're giving me because I'm like, no, it wasn't a TED talk. It was a TEDx talk, okay? It was just a local, small thing. (laughs) Yeah, and how how we can minimize ourselves, you know, and say it was just, you know? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Like this need to have it perfectly and accurately packaged so as to not, you know, present yourself in a way that might be judged or evaluated later as, like, less true, and so just just naming that just acknowledging it. Yeah, I'm glad you did, but I think TEDx talks are a huge deal, and I was really impressed, and I listened to the whole thing, and I loved it. Um, I've actually listened to it like one and a half times. I need to circle back around and finish it a second time. But um, you're just a wealth of wisdom. And um, and I know that like you're really honest about your own story and your own story of imposter syndrome. And that's what your TEDx talk was about was imposter syndrome. But also 
how anxiety is a part of that as well. And we're going to talk about some of those things today. But I wanted to start um, by just asking you if you would give our listeners a definition of imposter syndrome, because I think that's important and that'll be helpful to them. Yeah, so I'll go with the traditional definition or the things that we just hear popcorning around. Um, The idea is that you doubt yourself, you feel like a fraud, you feel like a fake or you feel like a phony, you have difficulty internalizing your success, you have difficulty being able to like really own and inhabit the work and the skills and the effort that you put into making a certain outcome and you're more likely to be like, oh, it was nothing or oh, it was luck or oh, it was divine intervention or it's a matter of time before they realize that it was flawed or, uh, you know, insufficient in some way. So, I mean, those are kind of the feelings or the thought processes. But for me, I want to define imposter syndrome from a behavioral perspective. Yeah. Because I want to talk about the rubber meets the road. I want to talk about putting pen to paper. Like, what does it look like in real life? And I would say that imposter syndrome is the act of doing more to stop feeling like less. Yeah. The act of doing more to stop feeling like less. And again, also this feeling that you're doubting yourself. You feel like you're a fraud. You feel like you're not enough. Which to me um, brings up shame as well. Like shame is that feeling of feeling like I'm not enough. How, how are shame and imposter syndrome connected? I'd probably say it hinges on the word avoidance. Okay. So with imposter syndrome, often there's something that you're running toward, but I think it's important to understand what you're running away from. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What comes up for you when I suggest that? Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Running away from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let me sit with that. Kat, is anything coming up with, for you that you're running towards or running away from? You know, to me, it's as most things in life two sides of the same coin one is always having the other just within your reach so you know for for me being enneagram one it's do more earn more prove more do it harder so then you're not less you're not unsafe you're not unloved you're not left alone you're not forgotten you're not Mm -hmm. unworthy so it's all as you said packaged together Mm -hmm. everything is and 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 if 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 you're in the in the shadow side of that it's always you know another thing the the opposite side is present well how do i get out of this uncomfortable place to make myself feel safer and better and worthier and loved and so and so forth. I don't know. I don't struggle with shame. I'm just going to go ahead and come out and say that. Hmm. And maybe it is presented as something different, but I do uh, have a little bit of a struggle with the imposter syndrome. Okay, mm-hmm. so I do struggle with shame. And for me, um, I, I think it's very connected. So as far as the running towards, I think I run towards helping, mm-hmm. right? I run towards. Um, even a little bit, I'm high in nine as well, so mm-hmm. I, I can run towards accommodating mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then one is my wing, mm-hmm. so I can run towards being responsible because I'm an oldest child. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, and an oldest child of an alcoholic. So sure. all of this is like connected, right? I've gotten used to helping 
being responsible for and accommodating and that's what I run towards that's right. the over functioning piece right and then the way that that what's underneath that that I'm running away from mm -hmm. is that feeling of not feeling enough because my my value was as a kid now this is not as true anymore because I've done a lot of self-work and yet I still have to work on it mm -hmm. like it's not completely evaporated evaporated so my my value is attached to my family mm -hmm. that's that's how a child thinks like I have parents who um, are struggling you know my mom was somewhat depressed my father was an alcoholic and so like my value is attached to them mm -hmm. and I really struggled with my father's alcoholism sure. and our messy house sure. and I just felt like I wasn't enough because I didn't view my family as enough. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's underneath. And that's the root of the shame. And that's the shame. And then that's what I'm running away from. So let me prove myself. Right. And let me validate that I am enough through helping, being responsible for mm -hmm. accommodating. Right? Does yeah. that make sense? So here's what's fascinating to me. And it might be helpful to even define what shame is or how we're talking about it. If sure. Kat, you even said, you know, it depends yeah. on how it's framed or how it's sure. put. I, like, let's say that you don't have shame. Mm -hmm. That would fascinate me if one of the lost childhood messages of the type one is you are good. Mm -hmm. Because... The opposite, like if you didn't hear the message, you are good, the assumption is you'll think, ah, oh, I'm bad. Right, right. And right. so you would think that what they're trying to run away from is this idea that I am bad sure. and here are all the good, right things that I'm going to do to prove that like sure. I am not inherently. Right. So you see, for me, I did not have the message you're not good. Ah. My message was you need to be better. And yeah. there's a difference there. I don't, I did not grow up with, you're a bad kid, you're bad. As a matter of fact, I grew up in a family where I was the favorite kid, where I was more accomplished, I was the shiny penny, I was the one who got more accolades, more affection, more attention, more praise, more love than my sibling, for example. But the message was, you need to be better. Oh, actually, you need to be the best. And you need to do it better. You need to make no mistakes. So if what I resonate more is it's not okay to make mistakes for type one. I don't resonate with you're not good. And yeah, I think that's that where sense. I don't I don't have the shame. That you know, the shame for me is not in that messaging. I do have some shame. I don't feel I struggle with it. I struggle with shit ton of other things, but there's not there wasn't a shame in in my childhood mm -hmm. connected to that so one of the definitions i've heard about the difference between shame versus guilt mm -hmm. is that shame is i am bad right mm -hmm. versus guilt is i do bad things right yeah and it seems as though you're built to make sure you don't do bad things my bad things guilt. are mistakes my bad things is being human that's the bad you know everybody has a definition of bad and good um for me bad is making a mistake not having it perfect, not doing it right the first time around. That's a bad. For somebody else, bad could be a complete. So, you, you know, like, I think when we're thinking good and bad, good and evil. No. Yeah. It's bad for one is a mistake. Being irresponsible. And that is important, that definition, like that difference between guilt and shame. So guilt, I made a mistake. 
right. and the shame is much bigger. I have a mistake. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, don't connect with the shame. I so, connect with the guilt. Yeah, that's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. So the thing that you're running away from is guilt. Hundred and ten percent. You're running away is shame, yeah. and it makes sense because I think even the heart centers, the twos, threes, and fours are more prone yeah. to identify with the idea of shame right. and inherent defectiveness. Right, and it's even called the shame triad. Some sure. teachers call it the shame triad. Sure, yeah, that that's the primary emotion. Others would say that sadness is the primary emotion, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the feeling center, sure. right? And some people sure. call it, you know, that the shame. Center, so or shame triad. So yeah, yeah that's so really the, helpful. Brings me to the point that the imposter syndrome shows up very differently for each of the numbers. For each of the numbers. But before we started taping, you talked a little bit about where it comes from and how it shows up. So could you talk a little bit about that? Because again, it's not one size fits all. Although it's maybe. You know, we're calling it the same, but it could look and feel very differently for different people. So could you talk a little bit about that, Sheva? Yeah, so if you were going to ask a more specific question, a pointed question, Mm -hmm. an arrow that you want to hit a bullseye, right? (laughs) what would you want to know about imposter syndrome and its origin? What are you most curious about? So I guess... You know, you've mentioned anxiety, overfunction anxiety, um, and I do agree that that kind of stimulates the imposter syndrome. So, anxiety, how does that show up differently in different people? So, for me, for example, anxiety would show up as I'm trying to work harder, I'm going to try to make less mistakes. For Christie's type, it would be I'm going to be more helpful, yeah. I'm worried that I'm not helpful enough. For three, it's I'm failing too my too many times, and I'm going to, you know, get to the top the next time, and again and again and again, so on and so forth. So I know you're Enneagram Type Four. Where's the anxiety coming from, for example, for you, and how does it present itself? How do you counter it? So for me, it it feels difficult to describe how it shows up as a four because I feel like I've lived my entire four life denying my fourness. Mm -hmm. So what I understand about the Enneagram four, they're supposed to be individualists who are expressive and emotive, um, where they're more likely to be transparent and show up with what's true on the inside for it to show on the outside. for most of my life, I didn't identify as an emotional person. Mm-hmm. For most of my life, I didn't identify as an expressive person. Mm-hmm. For most of my life, I wasn't allowed to be special, unique, or different in any type of way because I was expected to conform to a particular mold or a particular standard. Okay. Um, there were specific rigid rules and expectations that I don't even think really allowed um, maybe some of my flair to flourish. Mm -hmm. So in terms of how imposter syndrome, I think, manifests for everyone, I think there's, especially for those of us that have experienced it, not just periodically, I mean pervasively. If it's something that you've lived with your Mm -hmm. entire life, it is probably because there was a cookie cutter mold Mm -hmm. that you were poured into and expected to stay with them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for me, imposter syndrome, the reason that you have imposter syndrome is because you are an imposter. Mm. Yeah. You are fake. 
Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so like uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Like you mm-hmm. feel like an imposter because you are one. Right. That sounds yeah. so rude, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Stop <laughs> yeah. faking it. But the idea is, you became what was needed instead of what was natural. Yeah. Right. Instead of, of living your, your own truth, your own story, your own lived experience, you're modifying yourself to make it work and make it fit with your parents, your teachers, with your uh, spiritual guides, Mm -hmm. with your friend group, whatever, instead of doing what is probably unique and specific to you, that's not cultivated. Instead, it's kind of either beat out of you or it's erased or it's Mm -hmm. simply just not fed into. Or you receive a message, fake it till you make it. Yeah. And then you get stuck in faking it because you never make it because you're faking it. Yeah. And that you know, is a whole another cycle and I'm sure is so difficult for many people to exit out of. And the word imposter syndrome is usually linked to the idea of success. Right. So a lot of us, there's a mold or a cookie cutter or a template or a boilerplate, whatever, of what success looks like as defined by someone else. Mm -hmm. And as long as you are living someone else's definition of success, you're always going to feel like an imposter because your true self, your higher self, knows that you are more than what they say you have to be to be successful. Sure. I it's love It's a very that. limited, yeah. I love how connected view. it is to the Enneagram because that's, the Enneagram says you're not being your true self either. You are an imposter. You're wearing a mask. Like for me as a two, I'm wearing the mask of helpfulness. But that's preventing me from finding my true self because it's actually through being a little bit more like a typical four who practices the self-care and has time to breathe that's when I find creativity abundance life and then the Enneagram would say but it's more than that actually you're wanting to be all nine numbers and you're wanting to get to a place where maybe you don't even need the Enneagram one day Mm -hmm. because you're you're manifesting the high side of all nine numbers and your truest self like your authentic self but yeah every type Where's an ego mask? So I would argue that every type has imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because all of them are wearing a costume or wearing a mask or putting on a performance in order to make things in their context work. Yeah. And so the idea, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that the numbers, they're not meant to be boxes that we stay inside of. They're just the particular style or flair or just, it's the way that we show up for a specific period of time that might not be helpful in another context, right? Yeah. Like when you leave your family of origin and you're in another relationship or you move to another community or you move to another job or maybe you change your spiritual beliefs or whatever, the container that you originally were in where you learned a lot of those behaviors right. and those styles of relating and those styles of connecting, it might not work when you're in a completely different ecosystem. Sure. Yeah. When oh, you're in a completely yeah. different climate. So that mask or that costume, whatever character profile you had, it worked for a specific time. Sure. But it's not going to work for all times, especially Mm -hmm. if you're growing, expanding, changing. Sure. Yeah. So can you mention um, the layers uh, sort of that put us in a container? I know you've started from, you know, like family, community, religion. Can, Can you talk a little bit on that? 
So the way that I see it, mm-hmm. there are five layers. Okay. There's probably more, there's probably less, but you know, with my bias and the way that I see the world, mm-hmm. here are the big players that I think. Okay. Um, the first three would be, I'm, I like to call generational influences because they're much bigger than the individual and the current time period they're living in. And then there's like two that belong to the individual experience of the time frame mm-hmm. that they were born into. Mm-hmm. But I wanna start with society. And you know, depending on what part of the world you're in, we're in North America, mm-hmm. we are specifically in the United States of America, and so our society has a set of beliefs and values, expectations, so there's this like overarching thing, like no matter what, if you live in this country, then the music, you know, the economics, mm-hmm. the movies, mm-hmm. like everything is going to just be um, marinated with a certain set of values beliefs yeah so there's that bigger umbrella of the society and then Mm -hmm. maybe you can argue that they're the spokes (laughs) Mm -hmm. to that umbrella Mm -hmm. and so i would say after society especially here in america and probably elsewhere as well religion right because religion is the way that we organize ourselves it's the way that we understand ourselves it's the way that a lot of us find our why a lot of us like where where we came from whatever so like there's big picture society then there are the rules that we interact with which like religion and and government will influence and then even then smaller than that to me is culture Mm -hmm. because you can have subcultures you know like northerners are different than southerners easterners are different different than westerners so then it just keeps getting narrow and narrow from society to religion then there's culture and i say those are the generational influences because they've been going on for hundreds, mm-hmm. maybe even thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And we cannot be separated from our context. You can't be separated from your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, even people that you don't know are sure. still having a ripple effect on your life. Sure. So whatever you're experiencing about imposter syndrome and the molds that you're probably rubbing up against or fighting, we're talking about generational issues here sure. that you're dealing with. Sure. And so it can't just be solved on an individual level with just some breath work, some thought modification. Mm -hmm. It's way deeper than that. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's why in my talk for imposter syndrome, the TEDx talk, it's called um, imposter syndrome. It's not you. It's Mm -hmm. not you, the individual. It's what happened to you. In the sense, it's about the water you're swimming in. It's about the air that you've been breathing. It's about the soil that you were, you know, planted into and that you're growing up in that affects or causes the imposter syndrome that's happening for you. Um, so the generational influences, it's bigger than the seed, it's bigger than the individual. And then let's get to the individual. Then it starts getting personal the moment that you look at your community, because that's your network of people that you're interacting with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. There's your community, and then there's your fog. I like to call it the fog because it has a dual meaning. Fog stands for family of origin, mm-hmm. but also it's the illusion or the dream or the autopilot or the conditioning. Right. Mm-hmm. That you're operating on or mm-hmm. the Enneagram number that you espoused in order to navigate that fog or that family of origin well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oftentimes it's the limitation that gets in the way when you want to do something that doesn't fit the script of the fog. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that it is so multi-layered, very much like the Enneagram, like you've mentioned. It's not just a box. It's not just... You've assigned the number, here's the number, here's characteristics, move on next. It is so much more multi-layered and deep and encompassing so much more than 
perfectionist, helper, yeah. individualist, yeah. Yeah. what have you. It's not a formula. It's actually a really, really good story. Right. Yeah. And a really good story. If you've read a really good book or watched a really good movie, beautiful details. So many nuances. So many layers. Yeah. Like things that actually move the heart. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, this is your plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a question and we haven't talked about it before we started taping. So, um, but I still want to uh, ask it. Do you think, in your professional opinion, from your experience, does gender play a part in how much struggle you have with imposter syndrome or not? In this specific country, do you think women or men struggle with it more? That is a great question. And part of the reason that my TEDx talk was even a little bit maybe controversial to mm -hmm. some, mm -hmm. because here lately especially in academia and the people that are looking very carefully at like systems and processes right right they're like well hold on it seems as though women are experiencing imposter syndrome more and in some ways there there's a concern that women are being blamed right that as an individual, there's something that you're doing wrong and you just need to be more confident, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so the blame gets placed on the individual and, and that it's just a cognitive distortion sure. or, or that like, oh, you just can't see yourself clearly. Oh, you just need to improve your self-esteem. But the thing is, when you put that much emphasis on the individual, then it's not considerate of the fact of whatever in the environment is probably not supportive sure. and creating an adverse yeah. Well, and Experience that's and, for the individual. And, and, and that is the irony of, you know, specifically living in this country, you know, be more confident, but don't be a bitch. Be more assertive, but don't be so pushy. And, well, which one do you want then? Mm -hmm. You know, so let's, if we're encouraging one way, let's not shame for it in the next sentence or the next interaction or next experience anyway not enneagram related it just oh, it popped is. in my head it is because like an eight right 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 they're, right they're going to experience probably more shaming from the culture around them and especially here in the south females eight females exactly mm -hmm. when they're strong versus an eight man sure they're affirmed for mm -hmm. being strong and powerful and making hard decisions sure. and, and eight women often get fired sure right and so it, it is related I think it's very related sure. to the Enneagram so thank you for that yeah and so you know people are saying stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome because that might take away from the idea that there's something uh, systemic that actually needs attention that needs to change sure and so I'm saying it's both Sure. And part of the thing about my TEDx talk is like I come from a trauma-informed perspective. Mm -hmm. This idea that there are big T traumas mm -hmm. and little T traumas. Mm -hmm. They're the things that, okay, all of society recognizes that's a trauma. No one's going to argue about it, whether mm -hmm. it's war. Sure. You know, whether it's like a, a fatal death or something sure. like that, maybe uh, a physical assault situation. Sure. It's really easy to be like, yeah, that's big T trauma. Little T trauma is harder to recognize mm -hmm. because it's more about ruptures in relationships mm -hmm. and less about emergency chaotic things that happen at a grand level mm -hmm. and the thing is like I like how my mentor puts it it actually doesn't matter if you have big T or little t trauma because mm -hmm. big t trauma explodes on you mm -hmm. while little t trauma erodes away at you over time mm -hmm. wow yeah 
And so from that perspective, even the microaggressions that women experience over time can right. cause sure. trauma sure. and disrupt their self-concept and even uh, kind of like not give them the, the nutrients that they need in order you know, to have a more healthy whole view of themselves because there's deficiency in terms of like what they're getting. Yeah, well, it's very similar in the physical level and I'm not an MD, so I'm just gonna go ahead and say that, but uh, you know, we all have cancer cells in us and why do they grow in someone? Do they not grow in the other? Well, perhaps it is the inflammation environment that is there over time internally cultivates the growth of the bad cells. It's, it's the same on emotional level. It's the same on physical level. It's the same on mental level. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to me. After this brief word from our sponsor, join us for a meditation and be sure to tune in next week. We'll have another wonderful episode with Sheva. We're going to start with hands at our heart, but every time we move from the inhale to the exhale, we're going to push our hands away from our heart to show that we're clearing away something that no longer serves us. So let's again start with one hand to the heart and the other hand can hold the hand that's on the heart. So inhale, I am enough. And then exhale, push away the thought that you have to be perfect to be enough. And then hands back to your heart, inhale, I care enough. And then exhale, push away the belief that you have to help others in order to be loved. And then bring your hands back to your heart. Inhale, I do enough. And then exhale, push away the thought that you have to find your worth in doing. And then inhale, I have enough. And then exhale, push away the thought that something's missing inside of you. And then bring your hands back to your heart. Inhale, I know enough. And exhale, push away any thoughts of incompetence and that you don't know enough. And then bring your hands back to your heart space. Inhale, I am safe enough. And then exhale any thoughts of not being secure. And then bring your hands back to your heart space and say to yourself, inhale, this present moment is enough. And then exhale, push your hands away from your body to signal to yourself that you don't have to constantly be doing one activity after another. And then bring your hands back to your heart space and say to yourself, inhale, I am strong enough. And then exhale the idea that being weak in any way is bad and know that your vulnerability is powerful. And then bring your hands back to your heart and say to yourself, my voice is enough. And then exhale this need to silence yourself and to not speak your mind and your power. And then bring your hands back to your heart space, knowing that you are indeed enough and bring prayer hands to your heart and find a breath in.
and a breath out. Namaste.